All right, do me a favor, say hi to your neighbor. I know some of you missed that, so I don't want to miss the opportunity to say hi to each other. Come on. Don't take too long now. I got to preach. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much for being here this morning. My name is Adam Harold, and my gorgeous wife, Tanya, and I have the privilege and calling of being the lead servants in this community that we call The Refuge. Um, it's a joy to look out every Sunday morning and to see this place filled with people that are hungry for what God has to say to them. And maybe, uh, maybe you, you didn't come in hungry for what God has to say to you. Maybe you just came to see a friend. And if that's you, then uh, I want you to know that God has something that he wants to say to you. And we believe that wholeheartedly. And this morning, I, I can't help but to begin this Palm Sunday with somewhat of a heavy heart. Um, this last week, uh, many of you have heard uh, that on Monday, March 27th, uh, a gunman entered into a Christian school and um, shot six people. And um, I can't help but to think that on this Palm Sunday, that that did not surprise our father. As tensions rise in our country over sinful issues, it's, it's, it's sinful. And it's not one specific sin issue, it's all sin issues. And as tensions rise over sin, I'm reminded that Jesus is... He's triumphant over over sin and death. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious. He's humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. God knew that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem. This, this prophecy was written hundreds of years prior to Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey triumphantly. And God knew that he was going to ride into Jerusalem triumphantly, just like he knew that Monday, March 27th, a gunman would walk into Covenant Christian School. That, does that make God any more or less triumphant? Absolutely not just makes us more sinful. But what happened on Palm Sunday when Jesus rode into, the, into Jerusalem on a donkey, people shouted, Hosanna. You know what Hosanna means? Hosanna means save us. They looked to Jesus coming into Jerusalem for salvation. But what they thought Jesus was coming to save him from was from the Roman Empire, from the political persecution. Come on, somebody. Can we identify with that? We want, we want some political um, soothing, some political salvation. But Jesus rode triumphantly to overcome so much more than politics. 
He came to overcome sin and death. And in that, he came as a king to bring a kingdom that's upside down in this world. And in the world, it's an upside down kingdom, but in the life of the son and daughter of the king, we live right side up. And so maybe you're here this morning and you feel like God, everything of God is upside down. I want you to know this morning that God wants to turn it right side up and wants to flip the script on your life. But it can only be done his way, not ours. And we have to realize that my flesh and my desire must die so that I can live in the right side up in the upside down kingdom. To this world, things of God are upside down. But as a son of the king, I'm living right side up. So how's that for an introduction? And that has nothing to do with my message. But it has everything to do with this week. This week is about living right side up in an upside down kingdom. And so I hope that you are inviting your friends to church on Easter. We've got three, we've got three opportunities for you to come to, for you to invite your friends to. I think we're going to need them looking at the crowd today. Um, but I'll, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Invite your friends to so much more than just church, especially on Easter. Invite them to live right side up with you. Invite them to a relationship with the king because that's so much more powerful than an hour and 15-minute experience on Sunday morning. Invite them to live with you right side up. This morning, we're putting a bow on a series that I've called Shameless Investments. If the kingdom of God is upside down in this world, our investments are upside, also upside down. And, so, and, and what I mean by that is it just doesn't look like the way the world thinks it should look. And so because of that, we manage our resources differently than the world tells us to. It's called stewardship. And so we've been talking about stewardship. We've been looking at the story of the Good Samaritan. In Luke chapter 10, you can turn in your Bibles or you can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app. Um, this morning, I think the screens will tell you how to get to the YouVersion Bible app, but all the notes are available right there. Luke chapter 10. Verse 33 through 35, this morning we're talking about, so, so we've talked about uh, defining, uh, defining shameless investments, but, but then we talked about the, the immediate need addressing, the immediate need, the short-term need, and today we're going to talk about addressing the long-term needs that everyone, every human being on the face of the earth 
has. Let's read verse 35 through 30, 33 through 35 again. But before we do, I want to I invite our, our dad into this conversation. Can I, can I ask God to be with us? Father, um, as followers of you, our, our goal is to live the way that you want us to. So, Father, I, I, I pray for every believer in this room that they would see how maybe they're not living the way that you want them to that, so that they, they would live the way that you want them to, so that they could transform their lives in a way that we would live to please you. Father, for the person that is far from God this morning, the person that has never come to you as son or daughter, I pray, God, that today would be the day that they would be adopted by you, that you would receive them as they put their faith and their trust in you to save their soul, addressing the spiritual need that every person has in this world. Father, I pray that you would remove distraction, that you would open our hearts, and that you would speak directly to us, transforming us from the inside out. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, let's read Luke 10, 33 through 35. It says this, then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw a man, he felt compassion on him. Saw the man, he felt compassion on him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn where he took care of him. That was where he addressed the short-term need of this man that was Jewish, that was beaten by bandits on the side, left for dead on the side of the road. Verse 35, he addresses the long-term need, and this is what we're talking about today. It says, the next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. How many silver coins did he hand him? Two. Okay, you're still awake. I was just checking. Two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. And if this, his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay it the next time that I'm here. Today, our focus is on verse 35, addressing the long-term needs that every person has. In verse 35, the innkeeper hands the silver, uh, the, the, sorry, the good Samaritan hands the innkeeper how many coins? Two. Two silver coins to take care of this man who had been beaten and left for dead. He takes him, he asks him, take care of his long-term needs. I'll be back. In week two, we talked about the four needs that every, every human being has. The, and it, they're listed in Matthew chapter six. You can go and read it uh, later today. Uh, we read it two weeks ago. We're not gonna read it today, but I wanna tell you the four needs that every person has. Number one, it's emo we have emotional needs. Jesus addresses the emotional need of every person. Number Two, we have financial needs. Every person has financial needs. We can't get away from it. I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. I wish we didn't need money, but we do. The third thing was we all have physical needs. We have to take care of ourselves physically. Number four, and it's the, it's the biggest need that every person has, and it's the spiritual need. So emotional needs, financial needs, physical needs, spiritual needs. Those are the four needs that every person has. But we, the most important is the spiritual. 
Last week in week three, we talked about the, the short-term needs and how the, the spiritual need, even though it's the most important, it's still short-term. The reason it's short-term is because it only lasts in this life. And, and what, what that means is that there is coming a day when Jesus' presence, the literal physical presence of Jesus, will meet the spiritual need that every person has, has ever had. If we have that need met in this life, God gives us the opportunity to meet that need in this life. And if we pass from this life to the next, having that need met, then our need is fulfilled for all of eternity. However, if we don't, and this was the most tragic part of that message, if we don't meet the spiritual need in this life, by having faith in Jesus and applying God's grace to our lives, if we don't, we die with that permanent need in place. That need becomes, that short-term need becomes permanent. Not long-term, permanent. There's a difference. Today, we're talking about the long-term needs that every person has in God's kingdom. The definition that Webster's Dictionary gives for, for long-term is occurring over or involving a relatively long period of time. It's a long, how long is a long time? A long time. It's a long time. When we apply the definition of, of long term to the kingdom of God, what we get is today's big idea. But it doesn't come from Webster's dictionary, it comes from God's dictionary. In Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I want to read verses 1 through 10 for us. You can, again, you can follow along or you can read it on the screen. It says this, Ephesians 2. I'll give you a minute to, to turn in your Bibles. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 says, And you were dead in the trespasses of your sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of of the air, the spirit that is, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Do you understand what Paul is, is painting a picture of here? He's, pointing a, he's painting a picture of people that are without God. People that are without God are children of wrath, meaning that they will experience God's wrath someday for not putting their faith in Jesus. He's going to go on to tell, tell us about this in verse, um, verse uh, 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By the way, I think you're going to hear this verse next Sunday. I'm just saying. <laughs> Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
so that in the coming ages he might show us, show the immeasurable riches of his what? Of his grace. In kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. It's not a result of your works. The grace that God gives you is not a result of being good. Because if it were a result of being good, you could never be good enough to earn it. And it is not of our own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. For good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. What a rich passage. Grace, a gift of God. And today's big idea. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's the one thing that I want to communicate with you today. It's this. The long-term need. That every human being has is the grace of God. Every human being that ever lives must meet the need of the grace of God, but they can't meet it because they can't earn it. God is the only one that can give his grace to us, and we must receive it. So, how do we receive it? Verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through what? Through faith. The only thing that you need to receive the grace of God in your life is faith. That's all it takes. Not faith in you being good, but faith in God being better. Everyone needs God's grace regardless. Listen to me. Christian, listen to me. Everyone needs God's grace regardless of if they've passed from death into life or not. If they've received Jesus as their savior or not. Christian and non-Christian must receive God's grace and some of them have to receive it through you. Because the last verse, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. We walk in good ways and good works because people need to see the grace of God in our lives. Everyone has to receive or experience God's grace in this life. So, what is God's grace? God's grace is God choosing to bless us rather than to curse us for the sin that deserves it. Let me say that again. God's choosing to bless us rather than curse us for our sin that deserves it. Our sin deserves cursed, deserves cursing. 
Our sin deserves uh, death. Romans says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God. Our sin deserves death, but God's blessing is grace. I want you to hear me this morning. God's grace is the most powerful, the most powerful force in the universe. It has the power to help you overcome your porn addiction. It has the power to help you overcome your alcohol addiction. It has the power to overcome your abuse, whether you're the abuser or the abusee. Victim, I guess. God's grace is the most powerful force in the universe. So what do we do with it? How do we, how do we take it in our lives? How do we receive it? How, is it how, is this, how does this faith work? I've got three ways that we can, that we can address our long-term need of God's grace in our lives. Three ways. You can write them down if you want to. You don't have to, but number one, the first way that we can address God's need, uh, the need, our need of God's grace, you apply it. You must apply God's grace. How do you apply God's grace to your life? Pop quiz. Through what? Through faith. Some of you are with me. You apply God's grace through faith. It's not of works, or else, you know what we would do? <laughs> Look what I did. <laughs> I earned God's grace. I'm pretty awesome, aren't I? No. It's Jesus that's awesome that gives me the grace that I don't deserve. Because if I deserved it, it wouldn't be grace, it would be reward. God's grace isn't a reward. That'll preach. God's grace isn't a reward. It's not deserved. I apply God's grace to myself. And when I apply God's grace to myself, then I am able to give grace to others. I cannot give grace to others unless I apply God's grace in my life. And let me tell you, I look at the world around me and I go, that person hasn't experienced God's grace. I can see it. You know how I can see it? Because people that have received God's grace, have applied God's grace, are able to give God's grace. And in this world, it is getting harder and harder and harder to give God's grace. Especially, to the, especially as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. Listen, it's, when you truly receive God's grace, it is not difficult. Because you realize how sinful you were. And you didn't deserve it. So the person that hurts you, that doesn't deserve your grace. Listen, and can I just say, there's a difference in God's grace and your grace. God, <laughs> God is able to forgive. We are not. But when I apply God's grace 
to my life is a whole lot easier to apply to others. The answer to how we apply God's grace is found in verse 8. For by grace, what saves us? God's grace saves us through our faith. It's through faith. It's the only way that we apply it. Number two, so, so the first way that we address the long-term need of grace in our lives is we apply it. Number two, you process it. You process it. Now, how many of you know that um, if we're going to grow from anything in life, we're going to have to process? Like, we, like, I have to understand it. I have to, I have to process it. Processing is a process. <laughs> Dare I say it's a long-term thing? Processing? It's long-term? It's not one and done, short. All right, I processed it. No, no, no. It's a long time. This is what we call sanctification. Sanctification is the process of being set apart. In other words, it's the process of being made holy. But here's the thing. When I receive Jesus, when I receive Jesus, I receive his holiness. I am holy in that moment. However, there's a process that has to take place called sanctification. We have to grow. We have to grow in our process in our understanding we have to be hungry for more of God so that we can understand listen I when I was in college um, I, I helped out with a junior high ministry uh, I'm, listen I have my time okay so please we're working with with junior hires right now which is really kind of kind of fun I, I'm reminding myself of that every 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 week Parents of junior hires, listen, I love you. I can say that now because my kids are in high school, but they were in junior high last year. And uh, we pray for you. <laughs> when I was doing my time, uh, <laughs> I worked with pastors by the name of Steve and Krista Boshin. And I remember doing a Bible study with other leaders and really, to be honest with you, the reason I, I worked with junior hires was because I loved Steve and Krista more than I loved junior hires. And I was at their house doing a Bible study, and I'll never forget Krista saying something. She said, when I get to heaven and other people ask questions about God's kingdom, I want to be the one raising my hand going, hey, I know the answer to that. And it's always stood out to me because God's kingdom is a treasure chest. God's, the, the, the word of God is a treasure chest with the answers that, to questions that people will ask when we get to heaven. We've been given the answers, and I just, I just thought that that was really neat. We have, we're a process. We have to, we have to learn to grow in our salvation 
Not that we're doing any work, but that God is doing the work inside of us. The Apostle Paul talked about this in, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 12. Listen, I know we're all over the map in the Bible this morning. Um, thank you for following along with us. That's one reason why we put them on the screen so that you can follow along. I'm, Paul, and not, not me, but Paul, actually has a very difficult word here. Because do you want to know how we process grace? The Apostle Paul tells us. Let me read it for you, and then I'll ask the question again. Verse 8 through 10. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now, he's talking about something that he calls his thorn in his flesh. Thorns are not pleasant. Thorns hurt. And he's got this thorn in his flesh that he's dealing with, and he says, I've asked God three times to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I, will bo- I boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with my weakness, results, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Did you catch the answer to how we process God's grace? The way we process God's grace in our lives is through suffering. I'm just going to let that one hit, right? Like, step back for a minute so you can process it. The way we process God's grace in our lives is through suffering. Paul called it his weakness. It was his thorn in his flesh, the thing that kept tormenting him and made him suffer. He processed God's grace and he realized God's grace is all I need. Because when we suffer as Jesus followers, when we suffer, and there's no doubt that there has been suffering in this room. There's no doubt that some of you have suffered. But it's in our suffering that we're broken just like Jesus was on the cross. And in our brokenness, we identify with the grace that God gives us and we process it because we realize that God's grace is enough. It's sufficient. Can I share with you something that I wrestled with God about? I run in a couple different circles of pastors of different, different styles of ministry, different traditions, if you will. Some of my friends believe that when suffering happens, they just need more faith. Well, the reason I'm suffering 
It's because I, need, I just need more faith. And if I have enough faith, then I'll be healed. I understand why they think this. I believe that it comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 20. I'll, I'll read it for you. It says, He said to them, Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a, the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, this mountain of suffering, can I say it that way? You'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. And so we run to faith. We don't run to grace. And so in my suffering, I have chosen that I will always run to God's grace because God's grace gets me through it. And if he's so gracious to remove it, then glory be to God. But do you know how I run to God's grace? Bingo. Through my faith. And what happens a lot of time in the upside-down kingdom that we expect it to be this way, what happens is we oftentimes expect things to be either or. It's got to be one or the other. But God says, no, in my upside-down kingdom, it's both and. You need my grace, but you need it through your faith. So have the faith that my grace is going to be enough to get you through it and process it. So we apply God's grace. We process God's grace. Number three, the last one, we share God's grace. We share God's grace. If we're going to process it, we better share it. Here's the thing. Sharing God's grace is so much more than just forgiving people when they hurt us. Sharing God's grace is so much more than telling my friends about Jesus. And it's especially more than inviting them to church. Sharing God's grace is being who I am in Jesus, allowing him to live inside me and through me, processing God's grace daily. But can I share with you what I feel like God revealed to me this week when it comes to addressing long-term needs? And he did it, he did it through um, the story of the prodigal son. And the way that the, that, that the, I'm sorry, not the story of the prodigal son. That's always on my mind because it's my favorite Bible story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan, also a parable. God revealed it to me through the story of the Good Samaritan in verse 35 and how he addressed the long-term need of the Jewish man beaten by bandits. And I believe that it's the easiest way that we can share God's grace. Verse 35, read it with me one more time, last time. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins. How many coins? Two silver coins. Telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay it the next time I'm here. You know the easiest way to share God's grace with others? Is with your generosity. Generosity. 
It's the easiest way. With your generosity. Because going back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, talking all about God's grace. In verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is a what? Gift of God. And I don't know many gifts that are given without generosity. And when we identify with God's grace and with him in it, we give it generously. And the easiest way to do it is the way that the good Samaritan did it. He left how many coins? Two silver coins. And he said, if the bill gets higher, I'll pay more when I get back. And I'll cover the bill. And as sons and daughters of the king that owns the cattle on a thousand hills, we have been given enough to reach this world with the grace of God. But what happens is we hold on to our resources and we say, I don't trust the church to take God's grace to the world. Forget about trusting God. I don't trust the church. And so we don't give. But as you process God's grace, you understand that it's his in any way. It's not yours. In fact, it's never yours. It's always God's. This truth, listen, if you're here and you've never been to church in your entire life, you've never received Jesus, this, this message might rub you a little bit raw. That's okay. Because you first have to receive and apply God's grace to your life to understand a truth like this. And that's not a, that's not a shameful thing. It's all a process. We're all different levels in our walk with Jesus. In fact, I'm so excited that next Sunday on Easter Sunday, I've never done this before. We're starting a new series next Sunday. A five-week series. It's called Spiritual Growth Chart. And it talks about the process. We're all on a journey, but there's five steps in the spiritual process that we're going to talk about starting next Sunday. It'll be powerful. But the way, the way that we share God's grace, the easiest way is with our finances, because that's the way that the Good Samaritan shared, addressed the long-term need of the Jewish man. And so, in closing today, before we stand to our feet, I'm going to do things a little bit different today. I'm going to ask you to process this where you sit by asking one question. Not to, me, not to me and not to yourself, but asking our Father, 
God. How much do you want me to give? Not how much can I afford. Not how much does the church need. How much do you want me to give so that we can share God's grace with the world? When I was in the eighth grade, my dad was my pastor. And every year we would do this thing called the Faith Promise Missions Conference. And at the end of the conference, they would ask the church to ask the exact same question that I just encourage you all to ask. I was in the eighth grade. How old is that? Logan, how old are you? 13. Probably around 13. I was a little advanced, so I was probably 14. You can laugh. It's okay. I went to super kindergarten. probably 13, 14 years old. My dad had invited this lady from Chicago to come in to speak. She worked in the projects doing missions work. Sharing God's grace with the thugs of Chicago. a service kind of like this. I didn't have a job. My parents didn't even give me an allowance. I had zero money coming in. I was in the eighth grade. And I asked God, God, how much would you have me give? Listen, this conversation that I have with God every week, it's been going on for a long time. I felt like God say to me, Adam, I want you to give me a dollar a week. God. I don't, have, I don't have a job. I don't have an allowance. How in the, a dollar a week? It was for a 14-year-old boy that has zero income. That was a lot of money. I went home and I told my mom and dad. I said, Mom, Dad, I think God wants me to give a dollar a week. They said, okay. We'll pray with you. And... Uh, at the end of the conference, Betty Cherry asked my mom and dad, I loved, listen, I love this woman. And it wasn't because of this story. It was because of God's grace in her and through her. She's with Jesus now. But Betty heard my story. You know what that lady did? She gave my parents $52. And she said, here, give it to Adam. 
because I want him to see. That when we hear from God and we obey that voice, he always provides. This kingdom, it's upside down to the world. But God wants you to live it right side up. Stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. And to be honest with you, I have no idea how to end this service. Now, we haven't passed the plate today. We don't do that. The Bible in, in, 2, Corinthians, or in 2 Corinthians 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes and he says, decide in your heart how much to give. We believe that giving to God's kingdom is a decision. That's why we ask God how much to give. Some of you may already give 10% to the church even. Ask, still, ask God, how much do you want me to give? Some of you may not give at all. Still, ask God how much he wants you to give so that we can reach this world with the grace of God that is the most powerful force in the universe. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never received that gift that's from him that we receive through our faith. If you've never received that, I want to show you how to receive it with faith. It's by believing in your heart and confessing it with your mouth. So right where you stand, would you believe? Would you tell God, God, I'm yours. I'm done with sin. I'm coming to you to save me from my sin. Come into my life and help me live right side up in this upside down kingdom. Save me from my sin. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Are you glad you came to church this morning? I'm glad 50% of you are glad you came to church this morning. Come on, you can do better than that. Are you glad you came to church this morning? We're going to sing a song. If you have any needs, don't leave here without having them met. Any, any of the four, emotional, financial, physical, and especially spiritual. My friend Dave and Kim, they're up front. They want to pray with you. Let's sing a song and then we're dismissed.